You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. My friends, if you've been here for all of these days in a row and you haven't figured out the non-fungible token, uh, I'd, I'd say WTF to that. But with that being said, uh, thanks so much for joining us uh, here on the podcast. And as many of you know, you know, for me as a, a technologist, as a as full-time keynote speaker and podcaster, you know, I, I've loved being able to educate, kind of, you know, find help people find that harmony between technology and humanity. And I will say for me, you know, one of the driving forces to not only the podcast, but what we've been doing every day is that I also recognize that we can use our, our platform and our vision to spread, you know, not only amplify great people doing great things, but also, you know, great creatives that, you know, I probably wouldn't have had an opportunity to uh, kind of welcome into my world. And we have a great guest for you today that I'm excited to kind of bring into the conversation. Before we get into that, and uh, I kind of connect the dots to that that kind of intro. Definitely want to give a shout out to our sponsor, which is the Crypto Business Conference. Crypto Business Conference, of course, is happening October 9th to the 11th in beautiful San Diego, California. That's just a couple of weeks away for those that are listening here uh, live. And uh, excited to meet many of you out there. Uh, I'll be the opening keynote on day two. Uh, I'll give you some more information about the, uh, the Crypto Business Conference here at the end uh, of the podcast. And of course, the other thing we've been doing is, you know, buying an NFT every single day uh, for a year. And, uh, you know, the beauty of that for me has been not only different blockchains, but different uh, utility, different, you know, uh, ways to kind of find, uh, you know, different collections that we can, you know, add to not only what we believe is important, but also, you know, ways to amplify just all the unique use cases that exist here in uh, in the NFT space. So the the throwback one that I, I wanted to kind of throw back into today is actually connected to our guests, which I think is uh, a beautiful you know way that we kind of get to bring some of these synergies together. Uh, and we minted this one uh, a while back, which I think is you know that was uh, I remember you know looking at some of the drops that uh, Sabbath had done and realized like okay, well we we missed that one, and I want to add it to the collection. And you know the the parameters that we have set here, of course, is that it has to be in the mint phase or in that initial reveal phase, so that we're you know, the original owner. And so we added this one to our collection. Um, but I, I will say, and we just, this just happened as of a couple of minutes ago. Um, but for the live recording day, uh, this will actually be the first one of one artist. Uh, you know, we have, we've had some great one of one artists in our collection, but it'll be the first one of one artist that we've actually will add two of the collections uh, to our uh, our collection of, of 365. So this will actually be uh, the mint that we actually did for, let me see when that day was. So this will be uh, mint number 320. So 320 uh, will be the one that we'll kind of talk about here on the show. Uh, and so with that being said, uh, I want to welcome our guest, Sabbath. Thanks so much for, for jumping in and joining us today. And uh, yeah, excited to actually have you now twice into our collection. So thanks for spending the time with us. Dude, thank you so much for doing that. That's That makes me smile. Um, thank you for having me. It's obviously a pleasure to be 
and great company of so many different episodes and incredible people that have been on here already. So thanks for having me. Well, yeah, I, I will say, you know, um, you're one of the ones at the, at the top of the list. And, you know, I know you were busy. You know, we had, uh, you know, a friend, Brooke, Brooke J. Lacey, who uh, she actually told the story of you drawing on her arm and her going and get the tattoo done uh, on our podcast. It was way back uh, in January. And we've also had some, uh, you know, we had Matt Caesar on, Brian Brinkman, uh, Aaron Paré, uh, Illustra Amanda. Uh, and really for me, like, I will just say, like, I... I actually shared this in yesterday's episode that I, I consider myself artistically challenged in the sense that I can't draw, I can't paint, can't sing, can't dance. Um, and that really wasn't my uh, world, but my appreciation for the craft has always been there. And I'm very into like bold colors, bold people, bold statements. And, you know, I've loved, you know, we got to know each other a little bit through um, the wonderful world of clubhouse and, you know, connect uh, a lot of people, but, you know, just following your journey and all the things you have going on, we're going to kind of catch people up on that. But, you know, I would love for you to, you know, tap into a little bit about your background. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I think is you know very apparent uh, for anyone that follows you is that, you know, you're very passionate about not only what you do, the work you put out, but you also, you know, your first line in there in your bio is, you know, an Iranian American. And uh, I'd be amiss if I didn't, you know, kind of recognize the uh, what's happening over there in Iran right now. And we, you know, our thoughts and prayers go to all those, you know, amazing, strong women that are, are standing up. Um, I've had the luxury to, uh, of visiting Iran one time. Uh, I've been to uh, been to all the countries in the Middle East uh, more than at least I've been many of them more than once in my in my past life. But I had such an amazing time, and I tell I tell people a lot about the stories of my you know visits to Iran and just the welcoming that I had received uh, when I was there working in a previous life, and and just seeing what's going on around the world. It just seems um, that we make sure to to highlight that. But yeah, give us a little bit of your background and your the kind of like origin story of, of discovering uh, you know your amazing talent. Sure. Thank you so much for that. Uh, yeah, first and foremost, uh, you know, my heart goes out to the Iranian community and uh, everybody that's living over there. It's been really difficult, you know, sitting here in the comfort of our homes. And uh, the only thing we can do is share what's what's happening over there and bringing light to it. So uh, always sending love and prayers to them and hoping for the best this time as they've struggled enough. Uh, I moved here when I was 10 years old, so I was born and raised. Uh, I was there till I was fifth, you know, I graduated fifth grade and I came here. Uh, much for the reasons, you know, my parents thought that we would have more opportunities in America, which is true. And uh, I've been able to make a life in a country that it's not always been easy, uh, but, you know, gotten to the point where uh, it's getting easier. Uh, I wish it had happened before I lost my hair, <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good. Um, oh, you know, so my journey in the, in the creative side of the business starts, you know, as a kid, I've always drawn in everything from my math books to sketchbooks. Uh, I was always, um, you know, expressing myself through art, uh, whether it was at first an, a, as a way of escaping anxiety and, childhood trauma coming from a war-ridden country to being here and being, you know, not knowing how to speak English and getting bullied all the way to throughout high school from elementary to high school. Uh, there was a lot of different things that, you know, drawing allowed me to do, which is basically uh, try to cope with that, uh, with the anxiety that was coming from it, uh, where it became more apparent that I was going to be a creative as a, 
a professional was late college. So second year of college, I was a communications major, advertising and design. I didn't do any design actually. I had one design class and one illustration class. Um, I got a D in that illustration class, <laughs> uh, which is which is crazy. Uh, and then uh, I graduated, became a art director, uh, first an intern at a big agency working on Kawasaki, AirTouch, Taco Bell. Probably don't remember AirTouch. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Taylor made golf. So I right away uh, was interested in creating identity work and brands that were on a higher level. Then I worked on Foot Cone and Building. Now it's called Draft FCV, another big agency. And I was able to become an art, a junior art director there. So I designed everything from freestanding inserts, uh, all the commercials with the Yokira Taco Bell, the little dog, uh, but more regional, not the national. Shiat Day had national. And uh, some other uh, aspects of it. But I learned my design skills there. So, and then I also realized that, you know, I, that's where kind of I split into one side of me wanted to create characters and be the next Hello Kitty as someday in my life, mm-hmm. lifetime. And on the other side of it, I knew that advertising was too small. I was working on big campaigns, but how many times can I say 99 cent burritos on a <laughs> billboard and be excited about it? You know, the first time it's cool when you, you're on a freeway, you're like, oh, I did that. And but after a while, you're like, I'm not making an impact. Um, so I focused on brand identity design, logo design, packaging, and I came out on my own in 1999. They let me go, and I never went back to full-time. Uh, I've created over probably 300, 400 different brands worldwide uh, for companies such as Bayer's Naturals, which is a witch hazel and skincare company, uh, I designed Flippagram's uh, identity and basic user interface before it became TikTok, uh, mm-hmm. after they sold. So, uh, and, and then El Torito Restaurants, which is a big restaurant here. Those are some of the more uh, public-facing brands that I've created, uh, or at least created the visual components of it. And uh, sometimes brand, a lot of brand strategy and stuff too. And then um, alongside it, I've done a lot of different weird things that have made a big impact and then just fizzled away only to come back later. For example, starting the second social network for artists uh, in the world in 2005 called MojiZoo, where we had 50,000 character artists on there or, um, you know, uh, creating pixel pop, which was my character based brand myself and other things like that, that like, we can talk about. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean I, I mean, that is beyond, I mean, I just love, I love the background. I remember one of the first times I think we connected on Clubhouse. Like I think there was a discussion on like, do you consider yourself like a marketer, a brand, you know, a brand specialist, uh, an artist? And you were kind of telling a little bit of that whole story of not only kind of bringing some of those characters to life, but all the different you know kind of moving parts. I'm I'm curious for you know for those that are, you know like if you if you like 99 going on your own, right? I think anyone that's been an entrepreneur, especially a creative uh, since 99 uh, and still alive to tell the story today uh, means you know how to like roll with the punches and you know how to kind of ride, uh, you know, the roller coaster of the good times, the bad times and, and all the, you know, kind of in between. I'm curious, you know, through that journey, what, you know, we'll kind of get into some of the current things, but like, what were some of like the skill sets that you believe like you picked up that are, are helping you succeed even, you know, greater times now in web three that, that really you can kind of tap back into that you've kind of had in your career over your time. Uh, for, 
you know, as I transitioned over into becoming a full-time painter, which was around 15, 2015 to 2019, um, being my own client was, was probably the biggest thing, right? Being able to create brand strategy, know my identity, make sure that my identity is protected in every way possible, make sure that the identity is memorable, unique, and ownable. All of the things that I did for everybody else uh, from a packaging standpoint was there having the design skills to execute almost in an instant. You know, if I come up with an idea today, by tomorrow it's minted and and promoted, right? Because I can do all of that myself. I don't have to hire out a team. Um, Those were kind of the things. Now, where, you know, I excel today, whereas it was hard to start, I started a lot of little companies on the side that failed because I could do the branding, packaging, all that stuff of, let's say, a, natural products company. I'm like, dude, I just made these guys became a $200 million company on my back. Uh, I can do it for myself. And when it got down to actually having the products and then going out and selling it and getting into stores and doing the paperwork and all that's what I wasn't good at. Right. Whereas here in web three, I don't really need to necessarily worry about that component of it because the platforms handle that. And I get to be an artist and a designer at the same time and a strategist and all the other stuff that I'm good at. So it takes, so it's kind of playing to my strengths as uh, you know, a lot of people say like it was made for you, you were ready. And I was ready. I mean, I was doing all of this stuff that you see right now between 2016 and 19 on Instagram doing online sales. You know, and that's, you know, I love that you brought that part because that's kind of where I was leaning into because, you know, we had Eric Paré and Kim Henry uh, on the on the podcast and they, you know, they were very similar in the sense they had spent, you know, seven years monetizing their light paintings on on Instagram and building like that brand. And, you know, for me, I, you know, I take pride in, you know, I've done influencer content work, you know, for seven years, you know, six figures worth of uh, revenue there for seven plus years, even in enterprise tech. And I think it does give us a little bit of a, an edge into, you know, n- you know, the monetization element and some of those like moving parts, but I will tell you, you know, your name has come up on multiple interviews from Brooke J. Lacey to Brian uh, Brinkman, but you, I, I believe, you know, whenever someone's talking to me and they're uh, an artist or their friends, an artist, or uh, actually recently had a call with uh, a good buddy of mine. Uh, actually, his book is over my shoulder, but his son, uh, he wants to put his son, some of his son's art out. Um, I use you as an example. You are, I think you are, you know, you're a massive talent when it comes to painting, but I think you're marketing and your ability to kind of tell your story, bring a lot of these collections to life, and then also take innovative approaches. And we're going to get into like the one that you mentioned earlier, but you know, for our listeners, they know that I'm like a sucker for like you know, the mantra of our podcast is pretty simple. We are greater than me, right? I, I'm doing this every single day. I've had to sacrifice a lot. I know just to kind of put this out, but I believe that, you know, together we can make a, a bigger impact and, and it's a lot of what I preach. And when you, when you, I first uh, saw you post out there that you said art is the utility and love is the roadmap. Uh, I will just tell you the amount of people that DM me that tweet of yours and we're like, Banzo, this is like your guy. Like, and, and I mean, I, that speaks so much to like who you are. And, and I, I'll just say from the outside, like you have done a lot of these brand things. You're great at marketing your piece, but you're also are very committed to some of these, like, you know, these beautiful kind of connection points. And so I just love that. I mean, that my team, they're like, Brian, no matter what in the interview, you have to make sure you bring up that quote. And I was like, don't worry. Of course it's going to be brought up. I, I'll bring it into there. 
So I, I guess for me, I'm curious, you know, as you went full-time painting um, and now like, turning the painting into what, um, you know, now with NFT, the NFT component of that, how, like, what was your first, like, aha of like going from the Instagram monetization to like the NFT monetization? How did that entry point kind of happen? Uh, the entry point was a point of frustration and kind of being lucky to have a couple of friends to point me towards NFTs. Uh, probably February 14th, I was sitting in my office, which was a little bit smaller than this. And again, another in-home studio. And I was like, yeah, finally, I'm making a living painting instead of design. I quit design around 2019. And uh, so about two years of struggling through selling and not selling and all that stuff. But I'd gone to a point where I was shipping out maybe 20 boxes a week of prints that I was printing, signing, putting in sealed cases, and then building boxes with wow. USPS and going through all of that, right? And then I, I don't even stop there. I, I have to paint on the boxes as well uh, for people. So uh, it's just, there's things in me that I can't stop, right? And I have to continue doing. And I remember going, uh, I thought this was my dream, becoming a full-time painter, but it looked like I just became a shipping manager for a painter, you know? Uh, painting and, and selling it had become a smaller portion than spending days packaging and stuff. And I was kind of frustrated. And uh, the next day, I think I got accepted into known origin. So it had been about a couple of weeks that I had submitted, again, not knowing what NFTs were, how they really functioned. There was not a lot of information in February. If you, I remember Googling over and over again, and even though the platforms were there, there wasn't a lot of like Googleable information. Uh, and there was maybe a list of 10 uh, platforms and all of them looked scary. I mean, they really did. Like OpenSea looked really scary at the time. Known Origin looked really comforting because it reminded me of something that I would design possibly. The UI was simple. It was clean. It was crisp. And it was uh, the art on there was curated and beautiful. So I was like, I want to be a part of this. And lucky enough, it took a couple of weeks. They brought me in. I minted my first piece, which is my PFB that you have here, uh, Galaxy Sailor. And I knew she was going to be a good seller because I had already sold a bunch of it as a print on Instagram. So that's another component that was important to know is because every year I would sell 300 to 900 paintings uh, and editions as physicals. So I already had this massive amount of artwork that I knew which ones were going to do well. A lot of them were digital because in the transition of 16 to 19, I'd gone from selling originals at $25 to $100 to selling prints. I'm like, I, you know, I can't scale this. And why, once it came to prints and I was doing these flash sales of 130 to 150 paintings in a month, uh, I needed to go digital to do it faster and ahead of time. Um, so my first one sold, I think, February, about a couple of days after that. And uh, I knew it was different. The, I was like, wait, I don't have to print this out. I don't have to sign it. I don't have to ship it. And uh, I knew that it, the energetically it was different. It kind of ignited me again back to like my 20s where I didn't want to sleep. I just wanted to paint and share and chill. And, you know, it was it was an exciting time. I mean, I love that that piece of it, right? Because like you mentioned, I mean, I... I think we hear a lot about, you know, the beauty of Web3 should be to allow 
creators to do what creators do best, right? And that, like that is, uh, it's a beautiful thing to say, but I think that it's important to add like that context of all of the other moving parts that you had to include in the business, right? To sell the prints, the boxing, the the shipping, um, and not to mention like taking away from the things uh, that you create. And I, I like, I love seeing your tweets and uh, I know you were with, uh, you know, some uh, artists recently in uh, your local area there. And uh, I know Gabe uh, from Stoics, you guys took a, a picture and we have Gabe coming on the show in, in two days as a, as a guest as well. And, uh, and I also love like there was a couple other artists that we both follow and you're like, hey, I wish we were able to like draw together or paint together. And I, I remember that like feeling of like, how cool is it that you can like you can kind of like share your and do it kind of like in the moment. You have like that capability. And I think it's a, a beautiful piece. And I, and I love that you brought up. I'm curious just from the, the known origin piece that you mentioned, you know, a lot of artists they listen to the podcast and they're sitting there saying, I don't know where I should put my art first or where I could, it could live. And, and I know when we interviewed Brian Brinkman and with him, with animations, a lot of it was like finding platforms that that's allowed his type of files files to kind of, um, you know, be preferred. I was just recently uh, about two weeks ago uh, announced as one of the 50 curators for nifty gateway. And so we're uh, helping to curate as I'm the only non-traditional artist that they picked uh, as a, as one of the ones from nifty gateway, but you mentioned like the overwhelming side, right? From like the, from art blocks to super rare to, I mean, there are a lot of components of it that is, does feel overwhelming, but I also know you've dropped across, if I'm correct, you've dropped across other um, platforms as well. Like as, as you've launched with like known origin where it's at today, how has that platform grown? And then how do you look at like the platforms like that best fit you, you know, for dropping an NFT collection? I think every platform serves a purpose and, uh, all platforms that are good uh, or accept you, uh, I think you should be on. Uh, I am on every single plot. I mean, I, I think I even sold a piece on Zora. I don't even know if they're still around or if they're I don't still. Think, I don't think they're around anymore. I, I, I own, I bought something on there, but I don't think they're around anymore. Yeah, they're really, they're, it was a really slow, low uh, platform. Known Origin kind of gave me my start because it was very comforting. It was easy to mint on. I was accepted into the thing into their artist program. And it was a little bit easier to be seen because if you do sell and if you do push yourself to sell a few, you know, you start becoming trending and, you know, they have all of these things and it's a very art centric place. So, you know, that people are buying the art because they want to hold it. They're, they're, you know, they're interested in having it. Um, there was some issues that I had not only with Don Origin, but with platforms such as Don Origin, Super Rare Foundation, and everything else uh, that I realized later on was that it was very difficult because their secondary market is not that hustling and bustling, which is the truth. Uh, but it, there's a positive caveat to that. When I mint on Don Origin, I know people are collecting my work because they love it, right? They're not expecting to flip it right away maybe in the future. And there is secondary, it's just not as much. Um, then as that took off, then I went to OpenSea and I started minting mostly on OpenSea because of the comfort that people have collecting on OpenSea. Took me about a year to realize that minting on OpenSea directly wasn't the best thing for me. And now I have thousands of NFTs on the storefront contract, not knowing that it would have been better if I had my own contract before I put it on there. And now I'm in on mostly Manifold and sell through OpenSea. Uh, the past month and a half, I decided to go back to known origin. Uh, one being that I had access to my wallet when we were in Hawaii and you got the piece. Uh, 
I was really inspired. Finally, there was none of this around. So I was able to focus on just being on my iPad and painting. And then I got excited and I'm like, well, I can go back to known origin and, uh, and see how it goes there. And I can start my affordable collection. It won't really affect my floor that everybody cares about on OpenSea. Uh, it's a different place to be. And uh, it did really well. So I did it again and again and again. And, uh, you know, I was already basically as far as like e-volume and numbers sold. I think I was the number one selling artist for the past year and a half ever since I started. X copy, uh, they switched the algorithm. So now it says X copy number one. Uh, it is X copy. He deserves the spot. Uh, but it's because his secondary volume is just insane on that platform. Right. So there is that opportunity if you do make it. Um and in the past month and a half, I think uh, I went from having 300 NFTs sold over the course of the year to now, I think I'm about to hit 2,000 sold. Wow. Only a month and a half. 2000. So in a fair market to be able to push uh, over seven, you know, almost 1,700 NFTs um, is, I think it's it should be inspiring to all to say, hey, I mean, the price points are low. Yeah. It's the lowest I've ever sold my work for, um, but the additions are larger. And I'm giving print rights to everyone. So everybody can own a piece that they love and then print it. And it's, again, it's like a fraction of the price of if you bought a print from my website when I had it up. So there's, I play with these things because I get bored and I want, I want to create, if I'm getting bored, then my collectors are bored, you know? So I want to create exciting programs that engages the, the collector on a different level. So they love the work, but it should be also fun to collect. I think that the collecting process is is something that needs to be a fun process. So I, I, I mean, I love that that whole piece, and I think that's such an important. There's so many important threads there, but I also will say, like, you're. I mean, you don't rest, at least from my view, uh, on the the marketplace is driving the attention, right? You're very active uh, on Twitter, and you're very, you know, you have your website, your Instagram. I mean, we'll put all those links in the in the show notes for our listeners. Like, you do a great. I mean, like for anyone that's out there that wants to see how you kind of roll that out. But you mentioned before, like, I mean, are you a team? How many people do you have on your team? So, I mean, I, I get the email newsletter. I see the discord announcements. I, I see how well crafted like the copy is on your, your drops. Like I, I will just, you know, compliment whoever's doing, it might be yourself or whoever on the team is doing the copy is such like, it's captivating. What does your team look like? That's kind of rolling all that out. It's, it's mostly me. Wow. Um, <laughs> Uh, I do have a operations manager, Alberto. He takes care of like the day to day on, on discord, just to make sure everybody's uh, on the up and up. He works on, uh, outside business opportunities. Uh, and then my Instagram is run by Yumiko, which is NFT cheers. She's been incredible running that for the past three years. Uh, but all NFT aspect of marketing is me. So writing, wow. designing, pushing, and it might be a mental illness from where I can't stop. I just can't. It's fun. And uh, when I stop, I feel like uh, I'm missing something. And if that's done, uh, you know, and not to make fun of mental illness, by the way, I went through a lot of it before two, 2015. And we can we can talk about anxiety and all that stuff, too, if you ever want, because this this space can really mess with your mind. Uh, but with that being said, I have to kind of control all of that right now. Uh, I can't see anybody else writing my content about how I feel about a painting or what I'm going through or what I want to put out next. And everything is happening so fast. 
So, you know, um, the PC just purchased, for example, I've been working on it probably for about a month in and out of it, but I was comfortable in minting and selling it only a couple of nights ago because I, it was finished. Uh, Inception was something that I wasn't, you know, wasn't ready to let go of. Or I can sit down on the couch and finish a piece in an hour and I'm like, I, I need to mint this now. So I'll get on the email list. Uh, I'll build that out. I'll, you know, I annoy a lot of people with my email list and, I, I disagree. I, 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 you're not annoying. I, and even on our team, like, I mean, I signed up for, you know, pretty much every NFT version of an email uh, newsletter and yeah. uh, you, you do a great job of presenting that info, but you also, you know, I will say like, and I'm just, this is just me sharing my, like, I remember that when you posted, um, I think it was actually the first one we mentioned for the collection and you had said like, this is like the lowest that you had offered your collection for. And I had two impressions from like me. First of all, I was like, holy hell, I have an opportunity to get in at a low price point. But yeah. I also had like this feeling of like, crap, am I the guy that's like not supporting the artists for the value that they have? And like, I had this feeling of like, wow, you were, you were like being able to check your ego or whatever we can refer to that is. And like kind of putting it out. I think a lot of artists have not had the the success you've had over the last couple of months because I think they have struggled on like price points and how many of an addition, how do you like view that in like the you're giving, I mean, you're giving a lot of people entry points that probably would have never been able to hold one of yours. I mean, I think we have, you know, between my bag and the collection bag, I think we have six of yours now, right? So like it was an entry point that, that turned into me collecting more, but how do you look at that, like that price point and like the, like kind of like the, that like tough struggle that I think a lot of artists have on like the additions and this, you know, kind of bringing all these things to life. Well, you know, uh, I went through a very crazy uh, and disruptive kind of first six months in this space because I was doing quite well selling a lot of editions. And, uh, you know, there was always these people collecting. They're like, oh, I love this one. And they would collect. And then I would put out another one the next day. And then, and then I started to get a lot of backlash. Like, hey, don't you care about your collectors? Hey, uh, what about the secondary market? You're not, you know, those were the times we were in at the same time, right? So, uh, and I found myself consistently saying, you know, or defending the fact that, you know, an addition of 20 or 30 is nothing. Are you kidding? Like, yeah. you know, you're buying it for $200. I sell prints for more than that, you know, and uh, give it some time. You know, we just started. And why would I stop? You know, I would get, I, I even got phone calls, like, you need to stop minting uh, oh. from collectors, like almost in really weird, not positive ways that I had to, where, you know, I went the balance of like staying fairly stoic as Gabe calls it. Yep. Uh, Gabe has been a very good balance in this. And, you know, he's my best friend in the, in the space, one of them. And it's been nice to have him there. Uh, going from that to um, people understanding that if you wait long enough, if you go down my, for example, open sea collection, and go down three lines, it starts to look a little bit more unaffordable. Then it becomes a little bit more. Then it's like eight or nine ETH. And then 90% of the stuff, or I don't know what the percentage is, but maybe 60% isn't even listed, right? So you start to understand that the longer each piece, each piece has its own level of scarcity. I'm not releasing that piece again. Each piece is unique and new. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have put it out if I didn't love it and I didn't think it had impact and power. And so that piece itself, as time goes by, 
it ends up in the hands of the right people that wanted to own it and keep it. And therefore the price point comes up. I might have a low floor right now if you look at Sabit, you know, if you go to the Sabit collection on OpenSea, but that's very thin. It's only the top because people are still understanding what they collected, who they collected. Uh, some of them just love the artwork and then they're like, mm, I need the liquidity, so I'm going to sell it under what I bought it for. Those things don't matter because three months down the line, those pieces are going to be in that higher bracket. And yeah, I mean, for those context, I just counted, you know, you're 16, 16 in and you're at a 0.3 floor, right? So, uh, yeah. you know, like the, I think that floor and, and like, even, you know, like you said, scrolling through, uh, you know, and, and we'll put the link in there for, uh, everyone as well. And, I mean, and I mean, you have movement at all those, those price points, but I, something I wanted to tap in that you were just bringing up about like each one of these are unique. And I know you, you referred to your collection as love inspired, which I absolutely love that component, uh, as well. Um, but, like, would you consider like, cause like I, I consider myself like multi-hyphenate, multi-passionate, you know, having multiple um, skill sets and your art, like it all feels like it's yours, but there's so unique like ways that you bring that to life. And I don't think a lot of artists that I've seen have such a variety of like, you know, you, you'll do like a, a character that might be more of a character that would be like a good on a kid's TV show. And then the very next one is, a you know, almost like portrait, like a, of, of a, you know, of, of a person. And, and then you have, you know, you have kind of, like you play across all the, the gamuts. How do you like, how do you explain yourself as like an artist or the, like the art you're creating? Cause there is like, I mean, I could literally nonstop collect your pieces, which I think for other collections, I get like one or two and I'm like, I got, the one or two styles that I like and of yours, their styles are all over the place. Yeah. And I've tried to kind of separate those into like character brands that are IP based. Uh, because again, I'm fairly confident about packaging them like ugly kitties came out of nowhere, but then it became a collection of 317 and eventually it'd be a collection of 300, three, you know, 10,000 or something at some point. Uh, Tokyo Punks was a overnight uh, piece that I created, and but then I package it and brand it, and then let it grow organically. Uh, so Tokyo Punks Hyper Kawaii, those are you know all, Pixel Pop is a twenty year old you know dream that I've been working on since I was a kid. Um, so each one of those as a character brand is like Hello Kitty and Sanrio. Sanrio has all these different things in the brand hierarchy and the brand architecture, right? So if Sabit Brands or Sabit Studios was there, there would be all these different components to it. Uh, Sabit as a painter, or Ali Sabit as a painter, it's, a, it's just paintings, right? Mostly it's one-off. It could be completely different from the next. I'll go from thematically, I go from skulls to women to men to what, whatever the case may be. And then it, I can't help it but permeate it with random characters or characters I've drawn before, or things like that. But it gives me that freedom to experiment and explore and come up with new characters within those worlds. Kiku was one of those. Kiku was a character that I was just experimenting. I was inspired by Nara. I was like looking at different character artists over the past 20 years. I mean, I'm a character artist. Like if I was to be split in three, I'm like the brand guy, then I'm the character guy, and then I'm the painter. You know, so there's three different aspects to me that I got to play, you know, and I go between them depending on what's happening in the market, what I have to do uh, to deliver on what I've promised and three, what I'm inspired by at the moment. So if, you know, I'm in Hawaii, I'm painting, you know, a Hawaiian themed kind of piece. And then I'm moving from there to, uh, you know, it's time to 
you know, give Pixel Pop some love and bring Stitch Money back and create 10 new ones and drop it because I have to complete that collection, for example. And then there's other things, right? So there's the character world and there's the painter. I think those are the two worlds that I play in. Uh, well, I, I try to draw that line with branding. And I mean, and I, I mean, anyone goes to the collection, right? You can see, like, the thing I love about it is they're all so unique. Yet you can see the threads that you've kind of combined into the those you know, collections. And I think that's a lesson for, you know, I think a lot of, you know, and it doesn't have to just be, you know, one of one artist. I think, you know, the idea that like your collection, as you can grow it over time, everything doesn't have to be, you know, instant or like, you know, dropping all of the, you know, the the additions, you know, at once. And I think you do that, you know, uh, really beautifully. And I think, you know, that's even where I think some of the other platforms are starting to adjust, uh, you know, kind of how they, they put that out there, but you brought up like your, you know, you have like those different you know, pieces, but you also have, I mean, your body of work covers everything. And, and just to put this in perspective and your, your innovation too, right. You, there's a gold Dyson vacuum that I saw, if that's correct, uh, which I thought was just so cool. And, uh, and you'll have to explain a little bit of that. Um, luggage, there's been luggage uh, collaborations, right, with a, with, with a brand. And then, then you, um, when I heard you announce the, the it's Kiku, right? Is it yeah, Kiku. When I heard you announce that, um, uh, I guess, it, like activation, right, where you were um, in many ways challenging people hey don't don't change the the kiku character but place the kiku character in different art and like for me that was so unique and like i just i love the way you brought it to life and then i have lots of friends that are you know that are in a couple of group alpha groups that like within minutes of you posting that it was shared across the board like oh my goodness it. we have a chance to like you know to to kind of grow within that so i'm curious like from like you know vacuums and, and luggage to your character pieces to like that innovative approaches. Talk to me a little bit about like, how did the Dyson thing happen? And then what was your like inspiration for kind of taking Kiku to where you are, you know, inspiring others to use the IP as well. So uh, from, there's so many, like there's so many backstories behind each one of those. So it's, it's kind of hard. I know we, we have a short amount of time, but uh, I'll start with um, the vacuum cleaner was just, I was done looking at it because it was purple. Uh, and I, had I think to, your, your quote was something like, it's it's always in the house and and we can't hide it yet. We It's ugly to look at or something, right? Like I, I, I love that like inspiration. And then it became unusable because the, the cord didn't dry. The spray paint didn't dry on the cord. Oh. So it was wet for years. Uh, it's still in my studio. Um, but, you know, that was just my thing. Another thing I did that day was uh, there was a, there's an iMac uh, Pro sitting in my garage, and I thought it was dead, so I spray painted that too. <laughs> and then I, re <laughs> I realized it was a working computer. Uh, not anymore. It's a work of art now. So <laughs> yeah. I'll probably hack into it and get all my work out of it. Um, but uh, I've been collaborating before this, you know, again, from the character standpoint and inspiring others, I've always accidentally fallen into that because I like to engage others, especially artists. You know, if I go to Comic-Con, you don't see me in the big things. You see me talking to one artist for two and a half hours, you know, in the artist alley. Uh, that's kind of how I'm built, no matter what. I'm always excited to meet others who are doing creative stuff. And then if I can inspire or help, I do. If And they are always inspiring and helping me. I mean, some of those things happening is like my early relationship with Gabe Weiss, was that, you know, he called and we became friends. And the next thing you know, we were exchanging 
ideas of how to promote and how to connect and how to share all of that stuff. Also, accidentally, in, again, 2005, when I started MojiZoo, which was a social network for character designers, where people would submit their characters and battle them and all of that stuff, uh, I became basically a community director of over 50,000 artists. And this is pre-iPhone days. Uh, people started calling characters Mojis, and eventually I created the first Moji app, which was called MojiCon Dispenser. And then my company shut down. My partners closed it and it became uh people started calling emojis uh which was ah. out of emoji zoo and all of this is kind of verifiable you can just google it i sound like a crazy person when i tell people that i might have started the emoji movement uh accidentally uh but it's true and you can go back and look at it i i do have the rights to emoji zoo back so if you see something coming up, if you look at the design today, it, it was basically the predecessor to any uh, any NFT platform. Essentially, you know, it had a plus a community component to it. So uh, I do have ideas. This is probably the first time I'll, I'll say it out loud. Uh, I have ideas of bringing back and creating a new uh, NFT platform that would be cool. exciting to play with. Nice. Um, and, but, you know, I'm, I'm moving on, on a tangent. Uh, so my, as an artist, the only way I could get noticed in this, in the city that I live in, which has really no art scene. And the closest city that has an art scene is downtown LA. Uh, and with three kids and living here, it's, it's very difficult. Uh, I went back to my branding plays of like collaborating with brands. So Mont Blanc was one of my first brand collaborations and it became a four-year or five-year. Now it's almost five or six years now. I've been collaborating with them with time off for the uh, when it when the pandemic happened. Uh, but all my showings and signings were happening there. Eventually, brands were paying me to show up at their stores to do signings and showing my work. So that became a part of how I made a living as a painter. I was selling prints, and then I was getting paid a few grand or whatever, and a and a pen or purses at Furla and some money and where, where else? John Barbados, you know, they, the way I dress and, you know, uh, so it was really cool to be able to, you know, collaborate with brands that I knew how to kind of uh, play along and also how to utilize being, you know, for example, with Mont Blanc, the first opportunity they gave me to do the show, it wasn't a big deal. It was just me showing up at the store and putting up some of my work. But I borrowed a pen and one of their watches, and we made three commercials that you can see on, I think, on Vimeo or YouTube, wow. uh, Inspiration Flows. I made three commercials that wasn't by them, but I got to put my logo next to them and spend some money on Facebook and promote it. And next thing you know, everybody thinks I'm full-time with Mont Blanc, right? So, uh, um, so with that being said, it was always a matter of taking these little small opportunities and blowing them up as much as you can in a very, with a tight budget. And, you know, so Mont Blanc was one. And then at, at that point I knew that I would have to hire a photographer and a videographer every time we had a show. That's why there's videos of every single show. There's photos of every single show. And uh, eventually with Mont Blanc, I became fairly official with them. And now I'm in their coffee table book, for example. Four years later, which is really amazing. 
I, I love like yeah, and I'm one. So I'm curious the the Kiku uh, collaboration focus was that like a collaboration play? Was it like I mean, because in a way, people are bringing that character to their, all of their communities as they're big in their art too. Uh, I thought that was a really creative way of you know bringing one of your pieces, but you also gave people like parameters around that, right? It wasn't just like take my thing and run, but you gave a little bit. Talk to me a little bit about like that and how is it how has it been with you know how's that been received across the the community. So Kiku uh, was a character that was kind of floating around in my iPad. I, I created it. It was not my ideal character, but it had this kind of little energy and vibrance that I uh, I liked. So I would keep copying and pasting it into different art pieces that I was doing. And then I was like, no, she doesn't belong here. And then I would move her again. <laughs> and I had had this idea of an open collaboration, but my first idea of an open collaboration was painting something in black and white or painting one of my faces and then leaving it to other people to build around it and, and share. But that didn't like really sit with me until one night I'm like, I could do this with Kiku. If I put Kiku out there as an open collab, it'll be the first open collab. Yeah. There's been IP like Tokyo punks. You have IP to your Tokyo punks. There's been a few people that have done great things with it. Um, Ugly kitties, same thing. Take it just like the apes and do different things with it. But no one had done a, an open collaboration like this where you can attach my name to it, even though I haven't approved it. You know, there's this trust into the community, the artist community that I have built over the past two years that I know nobody's here to mess around. Everybody's looking for the same thing, love, connection, um, you know, sales, whatever the case may be and attention. Right. And I'm always being asked to do collaborations and I don't say no to anyone because I don't believe they're not big enough or small or whatever. I just, typically I just don't have the scalability in the time. There's too many projects ahead of it. And if I do take it on and do the art, I don't have the capability of shilling that work just like everything else. Right. So I can't keep tweeting about my collaborations. It would just be completely um, it just, everybody would not feel like I'm giving it enough attention. Right. And I, I, it's happened before, like, uh, where I do a collaboration and then I tweet about it a few times, but I have so many other things to do that doesn't get the attention that it requires. Um, so I'm like, we'll do one that's very open and I'll throw Kiku here, simple instructions, no overhead, no policing. Uh, if you can add me as a collaborator in your contract, great. If you don't, you know, not a big deal. People reach out. They're like, I don't know how to do this. I'm like, forget it. doesn't matter. You know, go for it. Just do it and see what happens. And I'll retweet it. I've tried to retweet every single person. Uh, we're building a uh, metaverse gallery and a thing with Des, the, the creative. He's amazing. Uh, so he's building it right now. So we'll have parties and get togethers with everyone. And I just leave it as an open collaboration. And even to entice people to collect multiple artists, I'm giving away one-of-one Kiku pieces that I do myself and mint uh, to whoever collects 10 uh, different artists in the collaboration. Uh, I've probably given over, I think, around 15 or 16 already, which tells you that there's been at least 160 sales. Uh, That's, But it's a lot more. It definitely is a lot more uh, because so many people have sold out their editions and collections while my piece is still like not sold out. You know, it's crazy. Like I'm having my collaborators are doing better than me Uh, with Kiku. They're just doing better than me, which isn't crazy. And I love it. 
No, I mean, I love the the creativity there. I love like the, even like the, you know, like, I mean, how do you scale collaboration? That's such a hard, you know, component, you know, with everyone, you know, making asks, right? And I, and, uh, I have two other things I want to just to, to tap into. Um, you know, I mentioned like, I looked at myself as kind of like artistically challenged and like, it was like a, it was something for me that, you know, I got, I'm very blessed. I, I speak for a living as a full-time speaker. I get, you know, my mom says I came out of the womb talking, right? So I finally found a job that like allows me to talk. Uh, and I, you know, I've, for me, it's about storytelling. It's about interviewing. It's like that component. And I, I discovered AI art uh, about four months ago, and it blew my mind um, in a way that I, you know, I have technology background, computer science uh, for over a decade. And just the idea that like all of a sudden I could start to to do the stories and, and the talking that I normally do to, to actually create something. And actually the like little PFP that's below me here is actually what I created. Uh, one of the first, you know, AI pieces that I created, but I, I will say like from, from you know, like, I have like that, you know, I wouldn't even say it's imposter syndrome. It's an element of like, like for me, it's like a creative outlet. And I, I finally brought them to life for the first time this past week. I gave a keynote at Disney uh, at a big Disney event for uh, Disney parks. Uh, and the, the talk was about future mindset. And what they didn't realize that I, you know, my 16 slides, the background on all 16 slides, I actually created each of them with one of the AI generators myself. And I said, we need to reimagine the way we look at the future as well as ourselves. And I, I let people know at the end, like I created these uh, 16 backgrounds, but the, the, like that, like emergence of AI, emergence of digital, and like, what is your thoughts on like how all these things kind of are playing and where people, you know, from like, you know, photography that, you know, some of it's edited, some of there's, you know, there's all these different moving things. What is your take as someone that's been, I mean, a creative and artist for, you know, since the nineties the until today, how do you look at like kind of all these different moving parts and like the definition of art and what is art versus not art? How do you approach that? So going back to like digital I think the first one thing that we all struggled with and uh, the imposter syndrome came up was when we went digital, right? right. I mean, I've been creating illustrations digitally for uh, design projects since 1999, right? So if I was creating an ad for someone and then it required a little elephant on the side, I was doing it on the paper and then executing an illustrator and throwing it on there. And But would I have ever thought to sell that um, – it never even crossed my mind other than like doing my characters and throwing them on t-shirts and products and things like that, which I was kind of trapped in uh, that mentality for, for quite a while that that was the signifier of success is to create these characters, put them on stuff, which it wasn't. The success was to be able to draw them every day and uh, enjoy that, that process. Right. Uh, But going back to digital, as soon as I had my first iPhone, I was in an app called paper 53. Oh yeah, I, there, I remember that app. That was amazing. I, I loved that app. I remember that app. Amazing. I still use it today. 2007 was my first digital paintings. Uh, I didn't feel like it was art where I could print and sell until uh, I think who's the British artist that kind of uh, made it okay. Uh, I forget his name right now. Older. He's in his 80s or 90s. He has this huge show and his last painting, I think he's the most expensive painting sold for an alive artist, which was like $95 million or something. Wow. Uh, I can't remember. Again, I should remember his name. Um, and he held a huge show where all his iPhone paintings that he was sending doodles that he was sending to his friends daily became a huge show at like a museum, gigantic prints, like, you know, 20 foot prints. 
And I was like, okay, that's all I needed. That, that you know, he, he just verified that this is art and we're moving on. Like, that's it. I think AI is kind of similar. And I was introduced to it through, I think, Dolly first, the Dolly 2. And I thought it was okay. I messed around in it. Then a friend of mine came over and he showed me Midjourney. Yeah. And both of them are great. They do amazing things. And he's like, dude, as a 3D designer, I put my entire life into becoming good at this. Right. And look, I just put in this these words and it just created that, you know, this 3D character that you have here. I mean, someone would have to learn how to be a modeler, a, a character artist, an illustrator, a coloring expert, you know, all of those right. things that take decades to learn to be able to do what, what you have here, right? Um, the I feel like it's a tool now, at, just like everything else, whereas, you know, I paint in my iPad every day. Uh, if I don't, I have to go in the garage and get paint out and all that stuff and you know, I guess messy and I can do one painting maybe in a week or a month versus doing a painting in a day without any mess. Uh, there's different aspects to it. When I paint on canvas, obviously I feel better. I feel more invigorated where I feel, whereas on iPad, I might actually feel a little drained afterwards or be tired because it is kind of like design work. So those are kind of the two things of analog versus digital as far as painting goes. But when it comes to AI, I feel like it's just going to be another tool that we're going to use, but you know, it's going to elevate the artists and the creatives that have been doing it right from the ground up. And maybe, you know, you have all these artists that are experimenting with it to the next level that are born into it and they're going to do amazing things too. Right. So you can't detract from it. Um, if you don't know, I also do energy healing and activations for people. Yep. Uh, so like I can, if you had a back pain, I could activate you and your back pain would go away. And so I've done a lot of those thousands of them over the past few years. The first time I asked mid journey to paint a portrait of a woman for me, it put red rosy cheeks on it. I didn't put Sabit in there. I didn't ask it to do that. I, and it freaked me out. But at the same time, I'm like, how's that weird? Why is it weird? If I can manipulate, you know, space and time and somebody else's physical being to get better, to activate the energy flow, to be better, you know, this AI is going to pick up on my information too. It's all information, right? So yeah. now I have a tool that's listening to me. Like a lot of the pieces that you see uh, with the one-on-ones that I put, that I create, yeah, uh, are AI generated, right? So I'm using Midjourney, and that's how Kiku started, by the way. Yeah. The first piece that I did, I I put Kiku in a in a AI generated background, and I was like, if I can do this everyone can. So my collectors are now joining the collaboration, right? I have everybody who's playing with AI and feels good about throwing Kiku in into these worlds. Um, today, when I do a background for Kiku, I swear I, on mid journey, the only thing I write is Kiku's world. And it wow. just, it just generates these beautiful, like, like look at the one-on-ones that I just put out. They're all, the only thing I write is Kiku's world. And I feel like it's creating naturally with my energy. I don't, I don't feel like it's cheating or it's, I don't feel like an imposter. I feel like I'm co-creating with it. It's just happening a lot faster. I, I love that. And, and so I've been, I was playing around. I mean, I was up till about 4am this morning on mid journey. Um, and I, 
I mean, I easily have put in 60 hours in the last uh, four weeks on just like learning the prompts and testing and, you know, creating my own a couple of servers. And I mean, I have, I, I created multiple accounts so I could have general, just for me, I just love that, like the, the possibility, but also like for me, it's like, I know that I'm trying to convey a certain emotion with the stories I'm telling and it's compliment. And, and I want to kind of build that. And I was last night, I was going through trying to build a background that I would put uh, Kiku to. And, and, and I didn't think about putting Kiku's world in there, which now makes it like, it's kind of like funny to think about that. Cause I was, I'm big into like a uh, girl dad of three, you're a dad of three. Yeah. Uh, like, so like, I love pinks uh, in everything. I, I wear pink shoes on stage. Uh, and so I was playing a lot in that, in that side. And so I, I love that you said that. And like, that's actually, you know, for me, um, you know, part of the nifty gateway being able to be a curator there, I'm going to, you know, drop my first uh, AI pieces that are uh, they're the, they're the uh, summary or the story of the 30 day tranches that we've bought an NFT every day. So I took one word from each NFT that we bought for the first 30 days and then, uh, you know, manipulated it in mid journey to create what I felt like the emotion I had on the first uh, 30 days. And I will tell you, I recorded the podcast today while we're recording this. I've never been more anxious or more, I don't even know what the right word to say. It's it was like, I have like a little bit like, I mean, in a weird way, like scared to not, um, you know, it's not that like the selling of them isn't what I cared about at all. It's more of like the appreciation of artists and to like not alienate and not be like the guy that comes in. That is like the, the tech guy that, you know, like doesn't appreciate like the, that moving parts and, like my team knows I've had a couple of these done for three weeks and I had to get over that piece. And, and finally I was like, fine, we put a date on it. It's going to come out on Friday. And uh, we're just doing like a collection 11 for, and you know, we'll have 12 total collections that will equal the 12 months uh, that we've been buying an NFT. But I, the more I, that I able to kind of connect with amazing artists like yourself, the more I'm excited, but it's just such a, it's a fun world for me that if you would have asked me, you know, nine months ago, if I would ever thought about, you know, um, you know, putting something out to the world that was like just a visual piece. It was just never, never been in my, uh, in my wheelhouse. And I will say this kind of ties back to what you started the whole conversation on, on like the mental health side, right. And the escapism. And, and you mentioned that, like for me, you know, I am neurodiverse diagnosed ADHD and dyslexia. I do a lot in that space around uh, that side of it. And I, I have found that a lot of times I do escape into mid journey in the, in the weirdest of ways of uh, even this morning I woke up and I just, I couldn't get in the, in the frame of mind to record a podcast episode. And so I literally took something that I, I knew my daughter has her last middle school soccer game this year. And I was like, what could I create with it with mid journey that would represent something that I could just text her to her iPhone while she's in school before her, uh, her seventh grade uh, middle school soccer game. And I felt so like freeing and, and like this, like this like element of like when I dove back in. And so I, I'm, you know, you've mentioned, you know, healing and your own kind of journey with that. Like, tell me, talk to me a little bit about that piece. And as we kind of pull this all together, because I mean, you're innovating, you're painting, you're collaborating. Um, but I think that that element of, you know, we do need a little bit of escapism in this wild world of web three NFTs, crypto. And uh, I think it's a beautiful piece that we can kind of bring this all together on, on, you know, like how do we, how did this help you with anxiety and, and where can we think about that you know, moving forward? So my anxiety and my, my trauma was probably a lot more intense than most people for most of my life, all the way up to age 40. So 2015, uh, 2015, I decided I was going to paint full time. And I'm like, if I'm a painter, what does that look like? 
and it looks like me painting every day. So instead of designing, I went to the coffee shop and I sat down and I brought my, I bought a big toolbox and I filled everything up with it. I didn't have a big studio at home. So I would go to the coffee shop and start painting. Um, the first thing that I started to notice is that my thoughts and all the anxious things that were happening started to slow down while I painted, especially for longer periods of time, which I wasn't able to do most of the time. Uh, most of my work was quick. The longer I sat on a piece and I worked on it, let's say a three hour stint, I started to feel really connected to source where I felt completely in a meditative state, higher alpha waves happening and things changing for me rapidly. So 15, 16, I go to Japan. That was another healing moment. About 80% of the stuff dissipated when I went to Tokyo and I came back. I felt like I was at home. And uh, that's where I bought some of my real Japanese brushes that I brought back. And there's a Tokyo film you can see from that trip. Uh, and But the more I painted, the more calmer my brain got. And the more I understood that it's not about escapism as it is about being more present. The more present you are, the lower the stuff gets. And you can't think your way out, out of anxiety. You can't solve the issues that you're thinking about. You have to transcend it through uh, bringing your vibration up. And that's what was happening without me knowing all these words, right? Yep. And bringing your vibration and frequency up in, helps you transcend the anxiety and the fears and everything else. And uh, the last book I read, was, which was called Quantum Touch, and I've always been interested in like having magical powers and healing other people and all that stuff since I was a kid, but it never really worked. I, I would do energy manipulation in my hands and things like that. So uh, in 2019, I read this book and it talks about activating your heart center and then putting your, you know, and as soon as I did that, the mind quiets down like this. And after that, I was able to do my first healing. I helped someone's knee problem. Then it was somebody's back problem. Then it was essential tremors, which freaked me out when I was able to help someone not have an incurable disease. And a friend of mine had Parkinson's and hurt, you know, over a text message, she stops having any kind of uh, symptoms for a week. She doesn't need to take her medication. So I started to learn that by activating my heart center, one, all the anxiety and the fears and everything else just almost instantly stopped. And two, uh, I was able to help others. So it started with painting, putting me in that alpha channel, alpha wave healing spectrum. And then once I learned that I can physically manipulate my, my vibration and frequency by raising it, by doing a couple of easy, simple uh, breathing techniques or there's a little technique uh, where it's about body awareness. All you got to do is stare at your finger and breathe it, breathe uh, air into your finger for a couple of minutes and you'll see yourself like lighter and the thoughts stop and all of that stuff. You, you start to learn how to manipulate basically energy and frequency and it impacts everything in your life. Once that anxiety and stuff goes down, you can basically move mountains with just your, your sheer thought and heart energy. How does that connect with you and playing with like, no, you know, mid journey and feeling good. What you're doing is you're syncing with the, with this AI and you're creating things out of your heart. It's not just your words, it's energy that's flowing through you. And as you get over kind of the anxiety portion of it, which was a lot of my own stuff, right? I used to paint 
if you see my early paintings of uh, 2000, maybe five or six, it's a lot of angst and a lot of bad words and a lot of different things that you see in it. Like a 13 year old kid who's just got a lot of angst. Right. And I was like 30. And as you move forward, you see that the more of a vessel I am for what comes down through my head, channels through my heart and goes through my hand and then charges the surface. And now you have things like love script, which is a language I can't read. Uh, sometimes people can read it in different languages, Chinese, Japanese, whatever. And it has healing properties and it has, it tells people information about their future, like literally in words and names. It, then you become more of an open channel for, for source to come through once that stuff is aligned and it's very easy to do and it's hard to see people suffer through anxiety and fear and all that stuff that i went through uh but i go through normal stuff right and i just have a better way of being able to handle it right before i got into this i got into a little tiff with someone in the house and then now i have to come and sit here and you know be in a centered place well, I can do that when when you know how to raise your frequency vibration. And it's a physical activity that you can do through breathing, through exercise, through playing with mid-journey and creating through that. doesn't matter. Whatever gets you into that point. So it's not so much, I wouldn't look at it as escapism, as I would look at it as another gateway to source or another gateway to being in the now. I love that. I, and I, I've, I've always tell people, like, for me, my ADHD is not the lack of focus, I actually am great at focusing. I, I just have a, a difficult time regulating my focus. And like the beauty I found with Midjourney is that I am able to channel that hyper-focus that actually outputs something. And that, yep. that, that's a rare piece of this, like this piece of it too. Uh, I, I love, I love so much of that. And I, I mean, just the fact that your theme is love, uh, you know, that, that connects the dots. I mean, there's no question in, you know, that we can all agree. There's not much many things I think the world can agree on. I think there's one that, you know, the world needs more love. And I think we can all say that. Uh, and I just, you know, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for the love that you put out in the world. Uh, you know, you're, you're inspiring me. I, I literally have not shown the, the Kiku part to only one person on the team uh, has seen the, that I, the background that I was creating. And I wanted to have this conversation. I was excited. So I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that out there uh, to the world as well. And, you know, we'll put all of your links uh, in the show notes. You know, honored to have, you know, two of your pieces uh, in our collection, you know, as we get closer to the, uh, the November 11th, uh, our, our mosaic one. But uh, Sabah, thanks so much. Any uh, last words for our audience? Yeah, I want first of all, I want to thank you for doing that with Kiku because I think it's truly the essence of Kiku was born because of AI, because it felt when I put her in that AI background, finally, she felt at home. Mm. It was really interesting because I tried it in my organic paintings and I'm like, no, she doesn't fit anywhere here, but she feels at home here. And now she feels at home in 200, 300 different artists and, you know, uh, collectors who are basically feeling like artists which they are everybody's creative it's just now there's a beautiful outlet like ai i, I don't have any uh, thing else to say about that other than that i feel like it's a brilliant brilliant thing uh, i also want to thank you for having me it's been incredible uh you uh, inspire us with bringing so many people in i always think about starting a podcast to talk to my friends just to record it and have fun uh, but you know i also know what it takes yeah. Uh, you guys are you guys are brave. It takes a lot of work and dedication, and dude, one one a day is incredible. I can't Thank believe you. you do that. So, Thanks, thank you. I'll share anything you want me to. I'm excited for you. Con 
congrats on Nifty, uh, and let's see what happens. Yeah, I, well, thank you, and that that means uh, a ton coming from you. And you know, the keynote I give uh, is called "Press the Damn Button." That's what kind of I'm known for. I'm just getting people. You know, it's not a not nothing creative there. Nike says just do it. I say just press the damn button. Uh, and sometimes you have to eat that own yourself, right? Like I have to get in my own uh, in my own piece of it. And you know, that's where podcasting uh, uh, for me has been. You know, this is my eighth one, and I joke that my first seven, if you added up all the downloads it wouldn't reach a million downloads and we reached a million downloads on this one before we hit uh, halfway mark of, of the year. And so like, wow. it's a, so much of it is like, you don't know what works until you put it out to the world. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I look forward to, you know, being able to hang out in person, uh, yeah. hopefully, you know, some collaboration opportunities in the, in the works Absolutely. in the future as well. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for, for jumping into this and, you know, for all of our listeners, you know, uh, definitely give a shout out to our sponsor, uh, Crypto Business Conference. It's happening October 9th to the 11th in beautiful San Diego. I mean, sign me up, October San Diego. Uh, I'm not going to complain there uh, one bit. Some great um, some great artists, some great founders uh, of projects. Uh, Gigi, who is a, a past guest of the podcast, who's the founder of Crypto Tech Women. Uh, we have lots of lots of great people on stages. Definitely check it out. It is social media examiner.com slash nft365 and i'll leave you with you know i'll leave you with sabit's words i I like to usually leave the uh, audience with my words but you know i just love the idea that you know art is utility and love is the roadmap and we need more roadmaps painted with love as always my friends until tomorrow make it a great day cheers thank you good night the Mint 365 Collection 100-Day Countdown is on. We're counting down to November 11th when we'll auction off all 365 NFTs as one collection, including a custom mosaic of all the art. Want to bid on this one-of-a-kind Web3 time capsule? For details, keep listening to NFT365. If you found this helpful, let us know by leaving a review. Like, subscribe, share, and do all of those good things. We are greater than me, and as always, the show is-